Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we are talking about Ukraine and nuclear weapons with Norman Solomon, who is co-founder and national director of RootsAction.org. Norman also founded the Institute for Public Accuracy in 1997 and is its executive director. Immersed in anti-war, social justice, and environmental movements since the late 1960s, Norman Solomon is the author of a dozen books, including War Made Easy and Made Love Got War. Norman Solomon, welcome back to Talk World Radio. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks for being here. So let's start with uh, Diffuse Nuclear War, which has a a brand new website, DiffuseNuclearWar.org. What is this? Yeah, it's a project really made more necessary because the world is moving closer to ultimate destruction of nuclear war, which naturally most people don't want to think about. And we have been told or maybe lulled into a sense of, I think, a false sense of security. And the experts who were at places like Bolton of Atomic Scientists have said that in the last decade or so, the symbolic midnight hands for nuclear apocalypse have gotten closer and closer to that midnight annihilation of really almost all human life on the planet, as far as scientists know. So, you know, it's a combination between denial on the one hand and sometimes in conflict with basic reality. So this new project, diffusednuclearwar.org, is moving ahead to convene a virtual gathering of people, especially around the United States, given U.S. nuclear policy. And for those listening who would be inclined, you can go to the diffusednuclearwar.org website. And if you are able to on June 12th, the Sunday afternoon, you can join in and hear from more than a dozen uh, activists and experts and others to talk about realities that we wish weren't here but are here uh, and that mass media don't tell us about, politicians don't tell us about. And so if you go to diffusenuclearwar.org, you can actually go on that Zoom live event. And there are a lot of great speakers. Uh, It includes the premiere of a video done with Daniel Ellsberg to talk about something that he's been concerned with for really 60 years in his professional life, and that is the real dangers of nuclear war. There are probably a lot of factors in that uh, doomsday clock moving closer to doomsday, uh, and you can tell us what what they are, but uh, one of them has got to be uh, the Russian government literally threatening nuclear war and threatening uh, or hinting or talking about the possibility of nuclear war if weapons go into Finland and Sweden and bases are built there. It doesn't seem to discourage anyone from proceeding happily down that path. Or if rockets are sent into Ukraine that can hit Russia, it doesn't seem to phase anybody. Uh, and, and talking about uh, taking the war, not just to Ukraine, but to the decision centers, uh, which living not that far from Washington, D.C., uh, suggests... Uh, to me that the, you know it's this story may be a little more local than 
pretty much anybody seems to notice or care. Yeah, the chilling word, I think, is decapitation, that the leadership or what passes for government leadership would be in the military mind taken out with a, a first strike or something like that. The Bulletin of Scientists Doomsday Clock was moving really terribly closer to annihilation even before the Ukraine war. You know, you go back a dozen or so years, it was six minutes till midnight. Uh, in the last couple of years, it's moved to 100 seconds to midnight. And it doesn't take a crystal ball to know that when the annual clock is released next January, it's going to be closer than 100 seconds. And I think that a reason that in the last decade it's gotten worse and worse, I would largely put at the feet of the U.S. government. For one thing, we've had cancellation of one treaty after another. First, uh, President George W. Bush canceling the ABM treaty, which was hailed at the time as a way to roll back the danger somewhat of nuclear war. And then more recently, you had uh, Trump canceling the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. And, you know, that's really painful for people who were active in the time of the 1980s or reading the history, because that's really, you know, David, I think it's one of the great accomplishments of the anti-nuclear movement in the world to get rid of the impending deployment of the Pershing twos and the cruise missiles in Europe in the 1980s, and likewise the demobilization, decommissioning, destruction of Russian intermediate range missiles pointed at Europe. And that didn't happen from the sky. It wasn't because uh, Reagan or Gorbachev got totally brilliant at once. They were bilateral agreements. Not all of them have to be bilateral, but in this case they were. And it happened only because people mobilized. They mobilized in Germany, across Europe, Greenham Common Base, in uh, Great Britain, and in the United States, a huge outpouring of uh, protests, which really you know, percolated. And people think, oh, what can I do? Well, that's part of the military industrial complex message that you can't do anything. When in fact, the only reason the INF uh, treaty happened uh, in I believe it was 1987 was because people organized. And so to get back to the upcoming diffused nuclear war live stream on June 12th, June 12th is the 40th anniversary of when 1 million people gathered in Central Park in New York to protest nuclear weapons. Uh, at that point, hailed as the largest political demonstration in US history. And there was the Freeze Movement, and there were countless meetings in living rooms and churches and synagogues and mosques and so forth, educating. You know, there was a Physicians for Social Responsibility slideshow at the time that was really high tech, you know, a slideshow called The Last Epidemic, because nuclear war would be the last epidemic. And so here we are 40 years on, and we have uh, one president after another in, in this century uh, damaging the chance of human survival. We shouldn't let Obama off the hook. He came in with all this high-flown language about how he was concerned about the nuclear dangers to the world, and he wanted a non-nuclear future. And he proceeded to push for a $1.7 trillion spending spree for nuclear weapons. Uh, in the next 25 years or so. This is very deep, tremendously profitable. You know, 
there used to be a slogan, uh, war is profitable, invest your son. That was during the Vietnam War. Now it's like war is profitable, nuclear war is profitable, invest your planet. And that's really where we are right now. How big a factor is is the media? You you mentioned uh, the media convincing people they're powerless, but it, it you know people think of Ronald Reagan as a right wing extremist engaging in criminal weapons dealing in Nicaragua and disasters around the world and moving economically and all sorts of domestic policies in, in a, a horrible direction. And yet, because so many people were engaged and active, they moved him. Uh, and, and now with the problem worse, you not only have many fewer people concerned about the problem at all, but those who are concerned uh, believe there's nothing they can do about it even though, uh, rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly, they they imagine uh, Joe Biden uh, as much more amenable to, to sane, peaceful policies than, than Ronald Reagan. Well, if Joe Biden were so amenable to sane nuclear policies, he wouldn't be allowing the shipment of offensive rockets to Ukraine that can go into Russian territory. It's really a, an escalation after the horrific, completely unjustified invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Media is a huge part of the problem. Uh, the psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton coined the term psychic numbing to describe the attitudes towards nuclear weapons. And media have been part of that numbing, you know, the anesthesia without surgery, just the insanity of pretending something isn't a problem when it could really end uh, virtually all human life and other life uh, of the higher mammals on Earth. It's true, Ronald Reagan was, uh, like so many of our uh, presidents in our lifetimes, uh, certainly qualified to be called a war criminal. And what he did in Central America was just horrific. At the same time, he had an arc, as the dramatist would say. And early in the 1980s in his administration, he was saying crazy stuff. And we had uh, this book come out by Robert Shearer called With Enough Shovels. And he had interviewed one high official of the Reagan administration said that people could survive a nuclear war with enough shovels. They would dig a hole in their backyard, have an extra door or two to put on top of the hole and that they would survive. I mean, this is the, the level of mentality that, that Reagan nurtured in his presidency. But a number of things happened. For one thing, as we were referring to, people really organized it was the combination of information, agitation, organizing, and protest that began to have an impact in the early 1980s. Then we had that, as, as I mentioned, the 1982 huge protest in uh, Central Park in New York. And all of that upward pressure from the grassroots brought about the screening on ABC. And keep in mind, back then, there were basically three networks, no internet, no cable, and it said that 100 million people watched this one film starring Jason Robard scripted as a drama to really alert people to, yes, it can happen here and what nuclear war would do. And it just blew people's minds. It upset them. It mobilized them. And it really upset the Reagan administration. They pressured ABC to have a reassuring uh, talk from an easy chair of Secretary of State George Schultz, which, you know, the executive summary would be, he told people, no, the 
U.S. government doesn't want to incinerate the world, don't worry. They were forced to say that. And as a matter of fact, it's come out that in his diary, President Reagan wrote that he watched the day after and he got very depressed about it and about the specter of nuclear war. And it changed his attitude. And by the time 1986, 87 came along, for the first time, really, the Soviet Union had wise, far-seeing leadership in the person of Mikhail Gorbachev. And then you had a partnership and you had some really valuable negotiations. And you had Ronald Reagan saying in a speech to Congress, a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. Well, we might think, duh, you know, how wise is that? It should be automatically understood. But at the time, that was just a huge step for him to take. One more thing I'll mention, David, is that on the June 12th live stream uh, that people, as I say, can sign up uh, on for uh, at uh, diffusenuclearwar.org, there's going to be about 18 minutes excerpt of a film done by the producer director, Jeff Daniels, and he's going to make comments in that segment as well, showing uh, footage of the June 12th demonstration and also from the day after film on ABC and from Reagan. So it sort of telescopes that history, which I would just say gets back to your question about media. If there's an accessory or accessories uh, to the possible crime omnicide of the planet, the mass media are, you know, accessories to the crime of human history. We just barely hear about it. And one more thing I'd mention, uh, soon after the invasion of Ukraine, not only do we rarely hear about the dangers of nuclear war from the U.S. mass media, but we don't hear about it from the President of the United States, who would be part of initiating or immediately responding to a nuclear attack. So you had Biden giving his State of the Union address and it's all about or largely about Ukraine and Russia and how we should understand the terrible Russian invasion, certainly in ter terrible of Ukraine. Not one word from Biden in that speech about nuclear weapons or nuclear war or anything else. And it's just a, a travesty. That's not leadership. It's sort of the ostrich uh, with the, 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 the feet and the head deep in the sand. Yeah, so so this is uh, an important event coming up on June 12th online, uh, diffusenuclearwar.org. Uh, but this is not just a, a one-time event, right? This is part of an effort to organize uh, better media, better independent media, and and better activism around this issue, right? What are what are organizations planning to be doing uh, coming out of this event? Well, I'm really glad to say that as we speak, there are 70 organizations that are co-sponsoring the live stream uh, via diffusenuclearwar.org for, for Sunday, June 12th. And this is just the beginning of a, a new push, given the dangers, a pushback against the accelerating momentum towards nuclear war. And so later this summer, uh, with sponsorship from rootsaction.org, which we're both part of, we're going to be organizing uh, intensive educational outreach across the country, media work, community discussions, and so forth. And also, 
now formulating efforts to directly communicate emphatically to members of Congress. Because the administration in the White House, that's part of the problem and potentially part of the solution. But there are also 535 people in the House and Senate. And they basically are, you might say, active or passive accomplices to the rush towards nuclear war. There's very little talk about it on Capitol Hill. Uh, it's as though if you pretend it isn't an impending danger, then it isn't an impending danger. And so it's really going to be constituent pressure that's necessary. And certainly invite people to sign up uh, at diffusednuclearwar.org so you can hear about upcoming plans to pressure members of Congress and the White House in that direction so that we have a positive future direction instead of what's happening right now. It, it, it seems that it, when it comes to Ukraine, uh, the position of pretty much everyone in Washington, D.C., across the both of the big political parties is it is absolutely critically important to go all out against Russia, come what may. Uh, and I think President Biden has said uh, somewhere, if Russia uses nuclear weapons, there will be major consequences. Uh, well, of course there will. What do you I mean? And I read a an op-ed in the New York Times by Mitt Romney, of all people, that started out, you know, very sane and reasonable. Russia might use nuclear weapons. This is a big, serious issue to consider, but concluded, let's just do everything we can to back Russia into a corner and, uh, and see what happens. Uh, it, it, so it, it really seems that those who are paying attention just prioritize escalating the war in Ukraine, expanding NATO, bullying Russia over the survival of life on Earth. They, they, that seems to be their choice. When really the unthinkable becomes thinkable, when it was considered complete insanity to even talk about, oh, it, we might need to have a nuclear war, uh, now it becomes uh, within the realm of reasonable, so-called reasonable discourse. We're in very deep trouble. One of the historian lessons from the Cuban Missile Crisis was that at a, at a pivotal juncture, President John Kennedy consciously decided not to push Nikita Khrushchev into a corner where his seeming survival would depend on not doing or doing X, Y, Z. And it seems that Joe Biden has taken the opposite approach, that even though he intermittently tries to, quote, walk it back. He's talked about regime change. He's pushed the envelope. Uh, there's almost no discussion now of diplomacy. And the net result is that the dangers continue to be heightened. One of the, obviously, some of us would like to rid the planet of all nuclear weapons and all nuclear energy. Uh, but one of the steps that could be taken uh, would be getting the land-based nuclear weapons in the United States uh, to at least have a little bit of a little bit of delay, uh, not have the weapons on the missiles ready to go in a matter of seconds, in the way that some other countries like like China have some delay built in. Uh, that's one strategy that some groups are are pursuing, is it not? Yeah, the ICBMs, the inter uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles are, according to in, uh, some of the high-ranking former U.S. Uh, so-called defense officials, 
the most dangerous weapons uh, that exist on the planet because of that very reason they are on hair trigger alert, launch on warning, because unlike the other parts of the triad, the, the air-based and the sea-based, they are vulnerable in the military mentality, vulnerable to a first strike. They can be taken out no matter how deep the silos are. And there are 500 ICBM silos in the United States in five states they could be taken out by a first strike. So when tensions rise, such as there are now rising in Ukraine, to put it mildly, uh, Taiwan and so forth, then the tripwire gets even tightened. The, the hair trigger uh, becomes even more dangerous. And so uh, we have people like William Perry, the former defense secretary, saying that they should be shut down. And unlike some other formulations where bilateral agreements are assumed to be necessary, this could be unilateral. And unilateral shutdown of 500, all of the land-based U.S. ICBMs would make the whole world safer because it diffuses that very short fuse that exists right now because of ICBMs. Anybody who wants to really delve into it uh, should read Daniel Ellsberg's great book, The Doomsday Machine, which explains in great detail why uh, it is so necessary to shut down ICBMs. And the U.S. could do it, could do it very, very quickly. And I should add that Daniel Ellsberg did a taping for uh, DiffuseNuclearWar.org, and we're going to premiere it on June 12th at that live stream. And his book is very detailed. He explains in about two minutes during that video that we're going to be screening, exactly why ICBM should be shut down. When you say the U.S. could do it, uh, could the president do it or would the Congress be needed to do it? It could work either way. The president, for better or worse, usually worse, being the commander in chief, could just say, hey, I, uh, I command the Air Force to, to shut those silos down, uh, get out the bulldozers and decommission them all. Likewise, Congress could just uh, cut off the funding. On the other hand, because they're being maintained, there's all these people underground, et cetera, et cetera, who are uh, staffing 24-7, 365. So Congress could do it. As is so often the case, they're doing the opposite of what sanity would call for. They're actually proceeding and have, have contributed another, I guess, $13 billion to Northrop Grumman to proceed with this Orwellian name, ground-based deterrent system, a whole new generation, if you can have a doomsday machinery, have a generation, a whole new generation of the uh, ICBMs. You know, they're now called Minuteman 3s. This is going to be called GBSD. And it's a quarter of a trillion dollars plan to spend for all of this. So the, the, they really are making a killing through the military-industrial complex, it is extremely profitable to proceed with ICBMs. And so Joe Biden could do it if he weren't Joe Biden or if the world around him changed. Uh, but it seems that, I mean, you have to go back to Reagan and Carter and presidents before them where you had presidents that did peaceful things the day after doing horrific warmongering things. They, they sort of had the level of machismo at an acceptable uh, position and would do something peaceful. Uh, it seems that in recent decades, we pretty much just have 
warmongering things from presidents. Uh, and if that's the way we're going to go forward and we need Congress, where's Congress on, on this? Uh, I, I mean, where's even the five or 10 House members of the Democratic Party calling themselves progressive and acting anti-war-ish that we, that we used to count on even up until recent years? Well, I started uh, when I went to high school going to Capitol Hill once in a while. I was growing up around D.C. And I went to a hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and there was this guy who was a senator from Oregon. He was just giving hell to a representative of the Johnson administration about the uh, Vietnam War. His name was Wayne Morse. This was 1967. And there's a story that he used to give a speech on the Senate floor about the Vietnam War, and then he'd go back into the cloakroom and his fellow senators, some of them would clap him on the shoulder and say, Wayne, that was a really good speech. And he would say, well, why won't you say anything like this to criticize it when they say, well, oh, I can't do that. And this is the, the dynamic of, of opportunism and cowardice. So to get to that broader point, we need to make opportunism work for us, even if we assume that is a huge characteristic of people in office, we've got to light the fire under them so that they decide uh, the wind's going to blow in a different direction for them. And is there is there any uh, place to get a foothold and make a start at that? Uh, because there, there, there used to be this idea that you would get uh, you know, a handful of Congress members who were committed to anti-war and disarmament and demilitarization and add to it. And in a, you know, in five or 10 years, you'd have, you'd have 50 of them. And by the time you died, there'd be a hundred or 200 of them. Uh, it, it seems now that we just have a dozen who will act a little bit anti-war when the president is a Republican and a dozen who will act sort of anti-war when the president is a Democrat. But literally nobody in the Congress uh, that you can count on. Uh, so it, it, it's like we need to be applying that pressure to every single one of them uh, all the time. Uh, we, we've got just uh, two minutes left. What can we do to, to, to move them in a better direction? I think constituent pressure is just crucial. And we can always be polite. We certainly should always be nonviolent. At the same time, we've got to be an emphatic. Our, our job, if you will, as activists, people who care about the planet, about humanity, we're not here to be friends with our elected officials. They should be serving our interests. And that means that as constituents, we need to really mobilize and challenge every member of the House, every member of the Senate, and be willing to do it with confrontation. Uh, you know, Martin Luther King talked about what he called the marvelous new militancy. He defined nonviolence as the opposite of passivity, but all too often we're encouraged to be passive and polite. Don't be polite. Do what's right. Organize and challenge these members of Congress. Very, very good advice. Uh, 30 seconds left. What's the website? What's the timing? Uh, how can people get involved? Everybody's invited uh, to go to diffusenuclearwar.org. If you can sign up before June 12th, then you get messages through your email how to join with people on the actual live stream on June 12th. 
And then we're going to be here ongoing. So that's a good website, diffusenuclearwar.org, and love to see you there. Very good. We've been speaking with Norman Solomon. He's co-founder and national director of RootsAction.org. Norman, thanks again for coming on Talk World Radio. Hey, thanks, David. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at RootsAction.org. Help end war at WorldBeyondWar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. <laughs>